Well, good morning, Calvary Church. I am so excited today for you to get the chance to hear from Patricia Sawo. She's one of our missionaries in Kenya, Africa. She is the founder of the Discover to Recover Center, where she is caring for 30 children who have been orphaned. One or more of their parents have died, one or both. She's also an HIV-AIDS educator, and she's a pastor of their church in their community. She's a church planter. So I want you to hear a little bit from Patricia. Patricia, will you share with us a little bit about why you do all the things you do? Thank you so much, uh, Shannon. I have one word to describe doing what I do. I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm called to do it. And I know that because since I was a small girl, nine years old, I knew that things were not right and that they needed to change. And I believed that one day I would change things around me and the lives of people around me. So uh, when I uh, became a believer in 1989, it became clear to me that God had her purpose and had called me to transform the lives of people around me. Tell us more. Yes, uh, you talked of Discover to Recover having 30 children. Currently, Discover to Recover has 30 children, but Discover to Recover has transformed a lot, many lives of children, 27 Children have grown to have education and to live their lives. Children that were left for death, but kind of God helped us and we turned around their lives and they are living a quality life and I bless the Lord for that. Currently we have 30 that are staying at the center and we are taking care of. Love that. Thank yes. you so much. Um, Patricia, tell us a story of God at work right now at the center through your work, through the power of the Holy Spirit in you? Yes. Uh, 2011, we were at a crossroad, and I was worried about what would happen to the children's ministry and the Discover to Recover, but I met Calvary, Calvary Church, and through Calvary, we managed to buy four acres of land in a very poor community, and as I speak now, uh, 2015, we planted a church at the center, and uh, God is doing awesome work within this community. We do crusades and door-to-door, -door, and one story that I want to share this morning is uh, a morning that I felt I needed to just go and do door-to-door -door at nine in the morning, and I'm thinking, why God? But I walked to this direction, knocked a door, and a small girl walked through the door, and the girl asks me, how many glasses do you want? And I'm thinking, glasses? And she says, yes, glasses of the local brew that I sell. A five-year-old selling local brew, a girl. Okay, I have to stop. This isn't beer, this is moonshine. It's our version of moonshine that this, this girl has, and she's selling at her front door. And so I'm, where is your mommy? And she points outside at a grave, the mother's grave. And I go, and daddy, and he says he's in the house drunk and sleeping. And so I walked in, and it's one small little room, and she, she's trying to shake the daddy up. Wake up, wake up, daddy. We have a visitor. And when the dad woke up, I don't know what happened, but he saw Jesus. 
and is saying, Jesus, what have you come to do to my house? Jesus of Nazareth, you go to people's houses. I don't want you. I want nothing to do with you. I want to die. Leave me alone. AIDS is enough for me. I don't want anything to do with you. Just go away. And I say, Jesus never leave people. And he never goes away. Stand up, sit down. And like a command, he stood up and sat down. And then he started telling me all the story of his life since he was a child, how he has suffered and how all that he needs is to die. And I said, this morning I have brought good news to you. You don't have to die. And the house was filthy with all the local brew, the moonlight, you call it? Moonshine. Moonshine everywhere. And, and I go, I'm pouring this out. And he says, if you pour this out, this is what my children are eating. This is what I eat. And I said, you can't do this to this small girl. I'm pouring it out. And I poured it out and I left with him. And one more time, Discover to Recover was not just uh, going to help uh, uh, people with HIV, but a person dealing with drugs, a person dealing with alcohol. And these two children saved. And... Right now, Amisi is the man, is a transformed man, and is in Bible school in the church, and many, many other stories like that happening, and I bless the Lord for the partnership between me and Calvary. Patricia's not in her church this morning to give a message, but I believe that God has a message for us through her. So Patricia, this morning... What message do you want to give to Calvary Church? A simple message. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to thank Calvary so much for the support that we've gotten from Calvary, having bought the land, a small step, small, small sacrifices that somebody would not think, but back in Africa, a milestone. Having bought the land, somebody else saw what Calvary had done and uh, added unto the land. And right now we have four acres of land for the ministry. We have finished one of the houses for the children. Um, my dream is to have five houses for uh, orphans so that they live comfortably. Currently, we have one and 30 children are living in that house with a foster parent. And we have built a sanctuary. We started out in a tent. And the tent, somebody has started building for us a sanctuary. We are thanking God and trusting God that he will send laborers. Luke 10, verse 2. The harvest is plenty, but the labor, labors are few trusting God that through this partnership as workmen together with Christ, we will be able to join hands together and do great work for the kingdom of God. I am very, very grateful for every support, each and every person, Calvary Life bringing in and each and every person that God has used in a way. I am very grateful. And I want to uh, welcome us for partnership that together we can send volunteers to do discipleship, to work together in the community and just change lives together as you do here, that we can do it across the world. Well, we are so thrilled to be able to partner together with you. Isn't she wonderful? Thank 
Patricia you. is such Thank a blessing you. to all of us when she comes here, and it isn't a surprise that you are a double and triple blessing to all of the people in your community, both across the street and around the world. Actually, this morning, I'm blessed to be having a son in the house, one of the young people that God has helped me walk alongside, and she and his wife have also walked alongside me, Godwin. Yes. Will you pray with me as, um, as we just bless Patricia? I want to even encourage us as we go through our weeks from here on out. It would be easy for us to forget about what she's doing, the work God has called her to. But I want to encourage you, the next time you see a beer bottle, as she said, the local brew um, that was being sold in her community and this girl that was rescued and her dad who has come to a transforming faith, I want to encourage you to pray for Patricia and the work that God is doing in Kenya. The next time you see a beer bottle, to do that, or moonlight, right? Yes. If you see moonlight yes. tonight, that you would pray also for Patricia and her family. And, and, and just for you to really, really pray, you know, we believe God for rehabilitation. As a church, to rehabilitate somebody four months is a... Uh, every month is $750. We have done that to one man, one young man in the church. It's not easy, but we depend on God and prayers to rehabilitate because we can't afford the rehabilitation. So anytime you pray, ask God to release a faith that can transform a life. Absolutely. And if God is calling you, stirring your heart even now, we've been invited during this Reach Week to chat with Matt, to talk with Aaron about potentially going going across the world to be a part of what God is doing on another continent. So consider that even this morning as we pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for Patricia. I thank you for the family that she's raised and the family she continues to raise. Thank you for using her in the power of your spirit to step out boldly into places that nobody else will go and to speak truth with courage in ways that nobody else is speaking. So God, we pray that your spirit would fall on her and that she would be used of you to do amazing things at the center, in the lives of these children, and in her community. God, I pray for strength to her body. I pray for um, continued growth in her own personal relationship with you. Lord, we ask that you would raise up people who would join her in the work both in Kenya and even from here, that might partner together with her to see more children rescued, more lives transformed in her corner of Kenya. God, we thank you so much for the blessing that she is and the joy we have in partnering together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have a message for you today in a video from the executive director, new executive director of SIL. His name is Michel Quimonier. He would have loved to have been here this morning to introduce our speaker, Dr. John Waters, but he was unable to do that in person, so he sent us a message via video. Take a look. It's really a joy and a privilege for me to introduce to you Dr. John Waters. Uh, I prefer to call him Dr. John Waters because I first knew him as my professor of linguistics, professor of syntax at the University of Yaoundé when I was just a very young uh, university student at the time. I didn't know that in God's economy we would be serving in the same organization today and even uh, being part of the Calvary Church in Santa Ana together. 
So uh, it's really a privilege to introduce to you somebody who has been inspirational in my life and somebody who has inf influenced me and challenged me to be doing the things I'm doing today around the world. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see Michelle up there. We had a chance to be with him, my wife and I had a chance to be with him a couple weeks ago, and we really rejoice, we rejoice in how God is keeping him and blessing him in his role. It's a, uh, he's a special friend and a special brother in Christ. Kathy and I grew up in Calvary Church many years ago, uh, middle school, high school, and we were blessed by the ministry staff, the pastor staff, and the, those who ran the support for children ministries. We uh, grew emotionally and socially, and especially spiritually here. We heard a lot about missions when we were growing up, and it certainly impacted us. We went off to university. After university, we got married. And shortly after marriage, we began to try to understand between our different paths what God had for us. And we soon realized that it was the ministry of Bible translation with Wycliffe Bible Translators. We began our service in the Ministry of Bible Translation in Africa among the people who speak the Jagam language. The red dot on this map you can see it identifies where the Jagam people live. They're in a region that's a rainforest, the rainforest of southwest Cameroon and southeast Nigeria. There are more than 50,000 speakers of the language in Cameroon, more than 70,000 speakers in Nigeria. We lived and worked mostly among the Ajagam of Cameroon, in southwest Cameroon. That's the right side of that circle you see on the map. We want to thank you for your loving support over these 48 years. Can you believe it? 48 years. And your faithful prayers and encouragement and financial partnership with us over those years. In talking about the Ministry of Bible Translation, we are talking about the scriptures, scriptures that are central to our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus, the scriptures that are central to the mission of the church. Paul writes to Timothy in the third uh, chapter of 2 Timothy. Paul wrote saying, Timothy, from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul tells Timothy and us that all scripture is inspired by God, that it carries with it the beneficial role of transforming our lives in ways that God desires. It does this by making us wise about salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and it does it by equipping us for every good work. In 1997, the Jagam people dedicated the New Testament, translated into their language. Since Calvary Church supported Kathy and me, Calvary Church was, in a sense, present at that dedication. It was your support was certainly significant in that process. It was an extraordinary contribution of Calvary Church to the Ajagam people and the Ajagam churches. We had the privilege of organizing the translation program and serving as linguistic and exegetical advisors to the translators. At the dedication of the New Testament, some 15 village chiefs attended their people honored them by giving them front row seats and very comfortable chairs right in front of the speaker's podium. One chief who came was the chief of Econiman. He was not a Christian. In fact, he had his own God, and he'd built a shrine right in front of his house 
for, to take care of him, to protect him. At the dedication, he and hundreds, the hundreds of others who were at, at the service, at the dedication service, uh, heard for the first time in their language the third chapter of John read out loud in public. They heard about a man named Nicodemus, who would have been foreign to many of them, and he came to talk with Jesus. And Jesus explained to him his need to have the Spirit of God give him new birth, a spiritual birth. The various presentations shared on that day caught the chief's interest enough so that he went and purchased himself a, a New Testament. He took it back to his village and he asked some young Christians to read it to him. Each day they would, he would, they would read a passage to him and after reading he would return to his house. And of course each time he returned to his house he passed the shrine that was in front of his house. And as time passed he began asking the question, which is the true God, the God of my shrine or the God of that book? The days passed and the weeks passed, the months passed. After the, about the third month, he came to the conclusion that the God of that book was the true God. He did away with his shrine. He became a follower of Jesus on that day. As Jesus would say, Jesus would say, he was born again. He became our brother in Jesus. The scriptures had made him wise on the way of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. However, God does not always guarantee those kinds of results. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke record Jesus saying, it is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What Jesus is saying here is that only those who really recognize their sin and brokenness, their need for him will come to him, will repent of their sin and believe in him as Savior and Lord. He calls those to repentance. Those who are satisfied with their own found way of salvation, their own values that are not God-honoring or don't even recognize God, they will never come and repent. They have their own righteousness. They'll have to take care of themselves in a sense and follow their own righteousness and the results of it. Not all people will respond positively to the beauty of the gospel found in Jesus Christ. But the word still comes in power as we see in the life of the chief of economy. It comes to do what? To convict us of sin, to convict us of our own brokenness and our own inability to handle all our problems. It brings new life to the hearts and minds of people who, like the chief of economy. Though, though the chief no doubt had heard about Jesus Christ in his village through the trade language, the trade language is pidgin English in that area, he never really heard of it in his own language. But hearing in his own language, began to provide a fuller and deeper picture of who Jesus was and is and who the chief was in his sinfulness before Jesus. This example shows how the word of God is crucial to making disciples of every ethnic group. Out of respect for each ethnic group, it is better to bring God's word in the language or languages they understand well. The events in the life of the chief of Mekonimen demonstrate the power of the word of God, not a political power, not a social power, not an economic power. We are aware of those forms every day in the news. Instead, it is the power of God's spirit to convict our conscience of sin and bring us to repentance and a desire to know and love God, the King of the universe, and together with other believers to do and to love our neighbors. This morning, I want us to consider three realities about the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. That's what we've been talking about. But it's also universal. It is also transforming. The Word of God is powerful, it is universal, and it is transforming. 
We see this power at work in the life of the chief of Econiman. Other examples of this power of the Word of God among the Ejagam come from the Ejagam version of the Jesus film and the scripture audio listening program. The Jesus film is a favorite tool for evangelism among the Ejagam churches. And 19 years after its completion in the year 2000, it is still in demand. Another ministry, Faith Comes by Hearing, recorded the entire Ejagam New Testament and provided a recording on what they call a proclaimer, which is really like a big CD player. One day, an Ejagam man went to his local clinic for medical help. He said he never went to church and he didn't bother with his Christian beliefs. However, on that day, when he entered the clinic, somebody was playing the proclaimer in the waiting area, and he found himself listening to the Ejagam scriptures. He said that as he listened to these, these tapes, this, this voice, he realized that he needed to repent for his sins and start going to church and join with other people who were following Jesus. On that day, his life turned completely around in a different direction. And that again represents the power of the word in an astonishing, surprising, sudden, unexpected way. We can't predict how the word of God works in someone's life. In fact, the Jagan people in Cameroon held three listening ear program. Over three years, they listened to the entire New Testament. They formed 226 listening groups with a total attendance of around 3,850 3, listeners. The results include around 2,700 people who repented. That is, they, they were followers of Jesus, but they needed to repent of their lives. The results included also 450 conversions and 126 people baptized and 120 people in five literacy classes wanting to learn to read Ejagam New Testament. The two examples of the chief of Econiman and the man in the clinic coming to faith through hearing the word of God represent part of an extraordinary growth of the church in Africa over the past century. The Atlas of Global Christianity estimates that in 1910, there were 12 million Christians in Africa, or 9% of the population. So that's over 100 years ago. Bring it up to 2010. There were nearly 500 million Christians, or people who self-identified as Christians, in Africa, about 48% of the continent. Most of this growth has taken place since European powers gave independence to their colonies in the 1960s and 1970s. The common wisdom here in the Western universities, here in the West, in the United States and Europe, was in the 1960s, was that those Afri when colonialism, colonialism ended, those few Africans who'd become Christian would return to their traditional religions. However, to the contrary, the number of churches and Christian converts exploded over these last 50 years to 5 million today, nearly 50% nearly of the population. Most of those converts were due to Africans sharing their faith with other Africans with missions serving as the role of catalyst. So the word of God comes with power to convict people of sin, judgment, and righteousness, but it is also a word of all to all people, for all people. The word of God is universal. No one should lack the possibility of hearing God's word or seeing it signed, as over here. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells us, to go and make disciples of all ethnos, all nations, it's often translated, but all ethnic group, all people who define as a unit. So no ethnic group is to be excluded, according to Jesus. Disciples should be found in every one. Acts 1.8, Jesus says you, to his disciples, you will be my witnesses, witnesses to his life, death, and resurrection in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
there is no location that is excluded from having access to the Word of God, having access to knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. Not one place, not one ethnic group. Apostle John in his vision of Revelation twice says, mentions that people of God are before, standing before God from every tribe, people, language, and nation. The universal na nature includes providing all peoples with the word of God in the language and languages they prefer to use and understand well. Scriptures in their language allows them to be taught everything Jesus commanded and to learn of the apostles' witness to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. In 1999, Wycliffe Bible Translators and its affiliate, SIL International, faced an enormous challenge. Along with other Bible translation organizations, they wanted to see every community that needed a translation to have one in their own language. And we were rejoicing in the greatest moment in Bible translation history at that time. Over 1,200 translation projects were taking place around the world. The trouble was, as we looked to the future, there was an enormous challenge ahead of us. We could see there were probably around 3,000 languages that still needed a translation program and translation done. And there was nothing happening there. There was no scriptures available in those languages. In addition, we, as we measured it, we could see that among all the translation organizations, only 20 to 25 projects were started every day, I mean every year. And that was a good pace compared to the past, 20 to 25 a year, new programs, translation. But if you look at 3,000, we realized that meant the last language would receive a translation program in about the year 20, 2150 or 2120. And we didn't accept that that would be the will of God, to wait more than 100 years to get to the last language with the scriptures. But what do you do? Well, we asked a question. The question was, what would we have to do to see a Bible translation program in progress in every language that needs one by the year 2025? In other words, over the next generation. Now, it's a crazy question because we knew that we could not make it happen. There's no way Wycliffe can stand up and say, we did it. They couldn't, SIL couldn't, nor could any other Bible translation organization, nor all the organizations together could not do it with the resources they had. It would take God moving in the worldwide church so that it would engage in a process in ways we had never seen before. The worldwide church would have to provide the human resources, the finances, and the prayer resources. The question pointed to a vision rather than a goal. I say a vision because it was completely out of our control. It was really calling us to a posture of prayer and submission before God. We were making ourselves available for God to change us in whatever ways he thought would be necessary and whatever ways he wanted so that more and more people groups would have access to the scriptures in their own languages sooner than later. We could not fulfill the vision alone, but we could make a contribution. And we called it vision, this vision, Vision 2025. There is not enough time to present all the changes we, could, we had to initiate or try to initiate. So let me point to one. As we saw earlier, the church in Africa had grown by hundreds of millions over the past century, especially in the past 50 years. Something similar had taken place in Asia and in Latin America and the Pacific Islands. Christian young men and women with higher education were available who could be educated and trained to take leadership roles in Bible translation programs. To engage them, we set up more than 20 training programs around the world. We wanted to train young men and women to lead translation programs in their own languages or in languages of neighboring groups. Four or five of those educational programs were in Africa, 
One was in Nairobi, and my wife Kathy taught there for seven years in Nairobi. One of the students Kathy had for three years was from a country in East Africa. He was called Fajak. Kathy also ended up training a young woman who later became his wife. Fajak struggled through his studies but did passing work. However, he was a man gifted with leadership abilities and extraordinary courage and perseverance. He and his wife returned home to their country. They also went to the refugee camps that were in, in country and found their own people and began to train them and prepare them for and organize a translation program. They completed the translation of the New Testament and also set up a number of successful literacy classes to prepare people for reading the New Testament and other materials that they were educational materials they were preparing for their own people. The New Testament was dedicated and now they are well along translating the Old Testament. Meanwhile, Fajak, because of his experience and his leadership that people saw, has taken the role of coordinating six other language, languages in their translation programs. In addition, six other communities are asking Fajak to help them set up translation programs. All of this is taking place in an area where there is considerable opposition to anything Christian. He also shows how investing the in lives of Christians around the world to give them the training that used to be only for Western Christians is the right thing to do for the current time and for the future. The results of Vision 2025 are multiple. It has contributed to us working jointly with over 800 organizations and churches around the world. It has also contributed to us living in an even greater era for Bible translation, far beyond our wildest dreams. There is more prayer support than ever in the past. There are more projects actively pursuing Bible translation right now than ever be seen before. In fact, there's over 2,770 translation projects and 2,770 languages going on around the world. That's well beyond twice what was going on in 1999. And many of those in 1999 had finished at least the New Testament, some complete Bible. In the languages that are seeing translation done right now, there's 4.8 billion people who represent those languages. But there's another 1,545 languages on our list that still need a translation program representing 110 million people. In addition, translation is progressing in 76 sign languages, and there are another possible 266 sign languages wait for a program to start. Today we see God calling young men and women from around the world, including the United States, and I would believe he is calling some from Calvary Church to consider this in their future. Today is different from the days Kathy and I joined in this ministry 48 years ago. <laughs> Today, those who join become part of a ministry involving people from all corners of the earth, a small representation of that great crowd in heaven that John describes in Revelation. In fact, to make a complete translation team, we need people to, uh, to fill multiple roles, not just the translation roles. So we've heard that the Word of God is powerful. It convicts us. It does a work in our heart and draws us to others of common faith. We've heard that it's universal for every ethnic group, every location, but the Word of God is also transforming. We already heard the witness just uh, earlier of the transformative power of God's Word. It brings about change in people's lives so that they might live in ways that demonstrate their love for God and their love for their neighbors. In these ways, they flourish and they please God. As we read earlier, Paul told Timothy that the scriptures equip the servant of God for every good work. They equip us by teaching us, and then when we head off on our own way, they rebuke us. 
They call us back and can put us on the correct path again, and in the continuing on that path, they help us grow in righteousness along the right path. Allow me to give an example of a challenge for transformation. The Mbaka people live in the northwest corner of the Democratic Republic of Congo, previously known as Zaire. Over one million people speak the Mbaka language. They live in the northwest corner of the Democratic Republic of Congo, represented by the red dot on the map. In the late 1990s, there was fighting in Rwanda, and the Rwanda genocide took place in 1994. That fighting spilled over into DRC, and it's been there ever since. But part of those, some of those militias went as far as the northwest corner of the Democratic Republic of Congo. The Mbaka had recently dedicated the entire Bible, translated into their language, when the militias came through their region. As the militias arrived, people suffered greatly. They attacked and killed and injured men, women, and children. A couple years after the militias were gone, church leaders could see the militias had seriously traumatized their people, and parents were surprised to find their children behaving in strange ways. Leaders from the Mbaka contacted the Wycliffe person, SIL person, who had helped coordinate the Bible translation to see if she could help. However, how do you help people in the middle of Africa that have been so severely traumatized? What did God lead us to do? Well, we paired this Wycliffe translation advisor who knew the language and knew the people with a psychiatrist and a psychologist who served on the SIL Africa area staff. Others joined the team, including pastors from other locations in Africa where there had been fighting and, and, and uh, trauma. The team produced initial materials and experimented with them. The Mbaka pastors, as they experimented with them, found their congregations began using them and finding relief from their trauma. Their wounds of trauma were being healed the trauma healing materials are biblically based and include some just good mental health principles. From their first use among the Mbaka, beginning 20 years ago, people from every, nearly every continent are now using these materials with people traumatized by war, civil strife, and traumatic events. Helping the Mbaka people with a, their trauma and use of those materials has turned, by God's abundant grace, into a global Bible-based ministry. Christians can use this material with traumatized children, and those helping the children themselves often come from traumatic situations. In one Southeast Asian country, Kathy, my wife, and her colleagues trained a group of church workers to use the children's trauma healing materials. The training was followed with a children's camp so that the trainees could practice using what they had learned. Many of the children participating were internal refugees, that is, they were within their own country, but they had fled from the north rather south, and most of them had lost all, all, uh, both parents. During the trainee sessions, one of the trainees named Andrew, you see him here in the, in the, the white shirt, you go back one slide, um, <clears throat> there you go, in the white shirt there, he, um, he said the learning materials helped him address a still festering childhood wound, wound of his own. When Andrew was a child, his mother died, so his, and his father and brothers raised him, but they were cruel. And they were so, so cruel that for a long time as an adult, he struggled with depression, anger, and was looking for revenge. However, Andrew said that when he came and went through this process, he drew a picture of his personal wound, and he shared it with others in the art lesson. Then in the lesson on forgiveness, again. And then he learned also from the biblical story of Joseph, who was sold by his brothers into slavery. You remember that story, those of you who have heard the story of Joseph. And the brothers were justifiably afraid that Joseph would look for revenge. 
but Joseph had forgiven them, and this Andrew learned how to forgive his father and brothers for the horror that they had brought him through as a child. During the children's camp, Andrew related these to these children, as you can see now, the next, the next slide, yeah. Um, there he is, next to one of the boys there. He said, by his own testimony, he was working through, because he was working through his own childhood heart wounds, he felt he could better connect with the children, especially the young boys, and help them to begin to address their own emotional pain. The Word of God can transform trauma into opportunities to experience healing and restoration by the Spirit of God. So we see this morning that the Word of God is powerful. It convicts us of our sin and brokenness. It brings us to repentance and faith in Christ. In fact, we are made wise. We are made wise in the way of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We see that it's universal. There's no ethnic group that's to be excluded, no location that's to be excluded. All should have access to the Word of God. And it is transforming. It calls us to change in ways that many of us struggle with. I struggle with certain areas. Do I want to change? Uh, sometimes it's attitudes and responses and so forth. But it calls us to trans be transformed and equip equips us for every good work. Every good work. May God continue using Calvary Church through this century to provide people and prayer and finances to reach the world with the good news found in Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. What a privilege for 48 years to partner with John and Kathy Waters. Aren't you humbled that we as a church get to see him through, through the waters, God work around the world. Amazing, amazing. Um, you have a card in the bulletin booklet you received when you came in. Will you pull that out? There's actually a couple cards. One is a commitment card. One is a faith promise card. What we want you to do is just glance over this. And as John invited us, what would be our role? in Calvary's next steps in global missions to go around the world. You're going to be hearing our vision unfold uh, over the next few months and years as far as even a, a renewed emphasis on Bible translation and, and getting these final thousand languages into translation. You're going to hear about the opportunity. You even heard Bill Campbell with Eric last week talk about Europe and, and all the refugees that are pouring into Europe and we're going to have a vision to how can we get more workers over to Europe from Calvary Church to impact so many cultures that have arrived there. But it starts with, okay, Lord, use me where I'm at. And so even to talk about where we're at now, I have our executive pastor here at Calvary Church, my good friend Michael Wells here. Michael has a unique role. Not only does he serve in leadership here, but he's on the board of SIL, John's organization. So Tell us from your point of view, what do you see with SIL and others? Well, it has been a blessing just to be able to visit some of the language projects that have been going on and just see uh, Calvary missionaries and, uh, and the impact that they're having all over the world. I just wanted to highlight two uh, Calvary people that you have supported uh, over the years uh, that have been making a difference in the Bible translation realm. Uh, one of them is Cameron Townsend. Uh, I saw a financial statement the other day from 1939 uh, that Calvary had given him $138 in 1939, wow. <laughs> which is pretty cool, 80 years ago. And then he founded Wycliffe Bible Translators as well as SIL International. And SIL last year 
uh, dedicated their thousandth New Testament. So a thousand people in the last 80-ish years, uh, people groups, have the Word of God in their own language, which is just amazing and really exciting to see. That's awesome. The other person I wanted to highlight was John. Um, He talked about Vision 2025. Uh, He actually helped come up with that uh, 20 years ago. And it's just been exciting to see uh, through that ministry uh, of SIL and his leadership, uh, just the change in missions and the recruiting and the speeding up of the translations that are happening. And uh, you just think about just these two. And we heard from Patricia earlier. We've also uh, saw Michel Camonier on the screen. Uh, he's in the process of becoming a Calvary missionary. So we just look at these few people and then we think of what are the, the amazing work that God's done through the other 465 missionaries that we've supported over the life of our church. And it just really, really excites me to see what God's doing and how we can be a part of it. Yeah, 465 that have been sent out through Calvary. Uh, But it's not just the 465, it's us, right? It's all of us that are called to go and to send and to pray and to give. So tell us how you can see all of us being involved. Well, we encourage you with the Faith Promise uh, commitment card. It's just a way for you to think through what you want to give above and beyond to support our global missions efforts. Uh, It's fun to be part of... uh, the history of that, but we're excited about the future of that and what God wants to do through your efforts and your support. And one of the easy ways to do that is even going online and making a reoccurring monthly gift. Uh, We have a new giving system that's coming out. You'll see some uh, emails and information about that coming up, but we just have the ability to just put that consistently there and keep it in, in our forefront. So we encourage you to check that out and to join in that process as well. Yeah. You're a numbers guy. Yes. So I like numbers. give us a couple numbers to inspire us. Well, one of the cool things, just even in the 17 years that I've been on staff, I look back and Calvary Church, through your generosity, has given over $22 million to missions just in that time frame. And that's pretty awesome. And, and that represents... 25 to 30 percent of our expenses every year going beyond the walls of this place. Um, That's really high, and I'm just excited to be a part of that, and we are just so appreciative of your generosity. I want to encourage you to excel still more. And so tomorrow is a new day, though, right? And so we're each called to continue to participate or to jump into participating in giving financially to what God is doing through this little church in Santa Ana all around the world. So whether you're a seventh grader, do I have any seventh graders in in the place here? Okay, we need to grow our seventh graders here. (laughs) Whether you're a seventh grader or you're in your seventh generation of life, all of us have a role and a part to play in giving towards missions. And also you can pray. And you have our uh, nice handy-dandy prayer guide here. You can find these in the lobby We challenge you to pick one up and to intentionally pray for our Calvary missionaries that we're sending out. So as you grab one, don't just throw it in uh, the drawer where you keep your yellow book. Do you still have one of those somewhere buried deep down? Put this in a place that you can see it on a daily basis and be committed to intentionally praying for our missionaries. And so grab one of these as you leave. And then today we have some fun things planned at 11 o'clock. Our life group hour, we'll have missionaries sharing, and then at 12.30... 
We have tacos, uh, but more importantly, the opportunity to eat those with uh, people who are going on our short-term, our go trips, and to be able to partner with them, pray for them, kind of adopt someone that's going so you can learn about what's happening in those trips and uh, really understanding who's going and how you can support them in prayer. Yeah, so at 11 o'clock, there's a flyer in the lobby. You can see where missionaries are speaking around the campus, and then we'd love to have you come and, and pray and be part of our, our go teams and that lunch at 1230. We want to take a moment, too, just as we talk about going across the street and around the world, to give an update on one of our church plants. So uh, a couple years ago, we planted a church in Irvine called Prodigal Church. And over the last five months, they've landed back here at Calvary on Sunday nights. We've kind of incubated them for a time and praying, okay, where would they go next? What city in Orange County are they called to? And we're excited to let you know today that beginning next Sunday, Prodigal Church will be in the city of Tustin, right on Newport Avenue, serving the people of Tustin. And as part of that move, they're changing the name from Prodigal to New Life Church. And so we wanted to update you on that and also just proclaim how excited and encouraged we are of what God's doing literally across the street through this church in the city of Tustin. And so just a moment, we'll pray for them and really pray for our giving and, and the, our opportunities to serve around the world. There's a card in the seat rack in front of you. If you're new with us, welcome. We'd love to even know about that. You can fill it out, or if you have a prayer request, uh, you can turn that in as well. And so with that in mind, with your commitment card in one hand, your faith promise card in the other, let's take a moment. Let's pray as we receive our offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you're doing around the world. You are a powerful, big, and mighty God who transforms Thank you for the glimpses that we got in that today. God, I pray that we would see missions not just for a select few, but for all of us, that we each have a role to play. God, for those who have been generous, Lord, may you encourage and affirm that generosity. For those that will step into giving today, God, give them boldness and courage to step out in faith. God, may we see that we all have a role. And may you use us. For your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.